Blog Talk Radio. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. You've just landed in the Sin Bin with your hosts, Paul Rogers. You went to Princeton and we're all Eastern, weren't you, Ned? That's what it said in the yearbook, Jim. Uh-huh. And Otto Rogers. You can't this. life. See us. All right, let's show them what we got, guys. Get out there in the ice and let them know you're there. my Okay, thanks everyone for joining us on a special edition of the Seattle Sinbin. Uh, I'm Paul Rogers, your host. Uh, Otto could not join us this morning, unfortunately. Um, so we got uh, an important show for you this morning. We're going to have Brian Robinson, the, f- the founder of Sonics Rising, on with us. And we're also going to have Brian Surratt, who is the head of Seattle's Office of Economic Development. Um, and I, so I've got two Brian's that are going to be on the show. I know one of them is on the line already. Which Brian do I have? Uh, this is me, Brian Robinson. All right, Brian Robinson. So, uh, I'm sure Brian Surratt will join us in a few minutes. Uh, but Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. I woke up with a little bit of a flu this morning, so I apologize in advance if, uh, that comes out in my voice. But uh, overall, man, hang in there. As you know, this has been a, a challenging few months. But, uh, you know, we, we keep trying to, to bring the Sonics back. So We do. We do. Um, so as we wait for Brian Surratt, we're, we're doing – this is kind of part two of a, a series of podcasts that we're doing called Hard Questions. And um, our readers at Sonics Rising have asked numerous questions in response to this. And so I'm looking forward to getting to that. But what's your overall impression, Brian, with how things are going? Um, do you sense that people are starting to to accept this a little bit more than they used to? Um, how do you feel that things are going with the fans right now? Uh, you know, that is a hard question. Um, I think that uh, <clears throat> I think that that we are starting to make some progress where we're almost able to have a reasonable debate. And the way I've kind of framed it to people is that uh, the fans have been through a lot, man. They've been, uh, you know, beaten up and battered down and and through a ton for a decade and people are really emotional and we have to remain um, empathetic. And so there was this expectation that I think was an unrealistic expectation that we'd go right in and, and have the debate. And, um, I don't, I don't think that was the case. So what I've been kind of trying to do is, you know, prepare to have the debate and it, it really hasn't even fully started yet. Uh, I think that there are some people who are just uh, never going to get over um, their affection for the other project and their kind of bitterness, the way this has all gone. They're going to want to see um, a team arrive before they accept it. But I think there are some people in the middle ground who are kind of, um, you know, going through the stage of the grief that I've gone through over the last two to three years and, and starting to arrive at a point where they say, you know what, let's, let's really talk about this. And as, as much as I loved that good thing, I don't want to miss up the opportunity to get this good thing too. So I, I think we're making right. progress and I think that people deserve their time. Uh, it, as much as I, I personally have not enjoyed always, uh, dealing with it and it's hard sometimes for guys like Brian and I not to personally given given some of the criticisms and accusations that have been leveled right <clears throat> excuse me you know and I um I understand the anger and and I know you do as well um part of the part of the anger um and, and I think it gets unfairly projected at OVG and uh, Tim Lewicki and, and company, but uh, I mean, people feel like Chris Hansen got screwed and they feel like he wasn't treated fairly. And, you know, I, I look at the situation, Brian, and I, I look back at, uh, certainly Chris did make mistakes, but I, I do have to also say, yeah, I mean, there, there was probably some corruption going on and, um, I'll never 
fully believe that the Port of Seattle's arguments were were that valid and uh, and things like that. But you know, the anger is understandable, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I it just is, it, and this has been a lousy set of circumstances. And the Port uh, was, in my mind, out of line. I, I tell everybody, I I fought it harder than anybody. You know, so right. this accusation that somehow. I have just uh, swapped teams and and forgotten about it. Um, I haven't forgotten about it, and I didn't like it. I don't like it. But I think at the same time, you know, we just have to deal with where we are at today. And um, I wish a lot of things. I wish that we had had stronger support for Mike McGinn and Mike McGinn had stayed mayor. And that was a a decision on the part of, of, Chris and his team to, to stay relatively neutral in that so they could work with Ed Murray. Um, it would have solved right. everything, frankly. And I wish that the port had not been so unreasonable. But I, I've i been a, a part of politics now for a while. Um, people may not know, I, I uh, after the Sacramento thing, I, I, have, uh, I got to be a, a registered lobbyist for First and Goals. So I worked for the Seahawks. And then after that, I went to their parent company, or not their parent, but Falcon Real Estate, where I worked, um, you know, on projects benefiting Amazon.com. And and Paul Allen, who was another really great rich guy who people might remember, got screwed uh, with Seattle Commons votes decades ago. And uh, it's really hard for these guys to get anything done. Chris, what he's going through is in some ways unfair, but in many ways is also uh, par for the course, what every person who wants to do a project of this scale um, has to deal with. And if you look at those organizations and the things they're dealing with, you know, they have, they just have so much larger of an infrastructure. They put, there are people jumping through these hoops and, and going through these routines and checking off these checklists. And um, Brian, I need, people might I need think to interrupt you. To, I need to interrupt you because Brian Surratt has now joined us. Uh, Great. Brian, how are you? Good. How you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, you're here with uh, Paul Rogers and Brian Robinson, who you know. Uh, it's Absolutely. good to meet you for the first time. Yeah, same here, Paul. All hey, right. Brian. Really appreciate re- Good to see you. Good to hear you, Brian. I, I really appreciate you coming on, and I, I hope people do understand that, you know, Brian is the director of off- the Office of Economic Development. He's he's dealing with the growth and business of our city, and um, you know his time is valuable. I appreciate you jumping on at 6:30 in the morning, and I appreciate that every time I've tried to meet with you, you've always made yourself available. It, it one of these days, I, I hope that people get that that you've been fighting for us, uh, Brian. So thanks for being here. But but Paul, I want to Brian can can affirm what I'm saying. I want to finish this point. Okay. Are things unfair? Of course they are. It's a $3 billion transaction, and it's a very hard-played game. But I don't inherently buy this argument that the system is stacked against rich white guys. I think that, that, uh, that that's a little bit laughable on the surface. And what I, So what I've observed, at working with some of the largest developers in the region, working with some of the, the wealthiest and, and most uh, you know, influential people, is that this jumping through hoops and this unreal, unreasonable opposition and this need to check off checklists and this need to satisfy the process, it is, we can talk about whether it's necessary or not, but it's not like one guy got singled out and it happened to them. There's other people that are trying to build things that, that it may not be so public and it may not be so played out on Twitter, but they're going to huge efforts to, to try to make their projects happen. And um, it's just kind of part of the game. So it's, it's like seeing a hard foul and saying, man, that, that was so rough, but, but hard fouls happen every game. You can't three years later sit and complain about them. You got to take the guy who has the power. Um, and in this case, it's the guy who owns the land and, and has the money and say, what did they do to overcome all those obstacles? And, and, and so that's, I get where people say it's unfair, but I also think that we have to be reasonable and we have to ask people to be accountable for their own actions in the face of that adversity. So what do you think, Brian? Do do most people just have a, a clear path to build $500 million projects in, in the city of Seattle? Um, I think um, 
uh, I think developers across the board, whether you're developing a, a mother-in-law unit in your backyard or wanting to build a half a billion dollar arena would um, say that there are a lot of hoops you need to jump through. Right. Um, so Brian Surratt, th thanks again for joining us. And uh, we do have numerous questions that our readers of Sonics Rising have posed to you that I'm, that I'm going to read. Um, but leading up to that, there's been kind of a common theme that you probably heard. Um, you know, obviously, uh, the key arena proposal is not the most popular uh, proposal uh, among Sonics fans. Um, and uh, there's been a lot of complaints that they don't feel people don't feel that the the, the RFP process and the selection process and the negotiation process was transparent. Um, they they think a lot of people think that the fix was in from the beginning. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard those concerns repeatedly over the last several months. Um, how do you respond to those kind of concerns? Well, you know, I um, on on one hand, I I understand um, the you know the public's desire for. Uh, transparency and openness whenever we're talking about a, a project of this scale um, you know from the outset um, I you know I really do believe we have been pretty open uh, we announced this RFP uh, earlier this year in January and uh, we were very clear the city was very clear on its objectives on what it wanted to, to see um, at Key Arena um, you know, we've laid out seven principles that included uh, that this arena needs to be designed to meet the standards of NBA and NHL. Uh, we wanted to have minimal city financial um, involvement in this, um, and we wanted to make sure that it really fits uh, with uh, the broader vision that the city has with Seattle Center and, and uh, the surrounding neighborhoods. So we were very clear on, on that piece. Um, when the proposals uh, were submitted, the two proposals, um, they were for uh, public consumption, and everybody got to see uh, what the two respondents um, had envisioned for um, Key Arena and Seattle Center um, and uh, what their intentions were and what their ideas were. Um, and we were uh, very open in, in how we went about our selection process, and we were very clear on on what were the kind of the final determinants of, of why we selected Oakview, uh, that we felt that the design itself of the, of the building uh, was uh, very strong and it met the, uh, the standards of MBA and NHL, um, and the fact that they were uh, funding, funding the construction and the operation of this facility with 100% uh, private financing. It was pretty clear on, on, on our rationale on on going with uh, the Oakview Group, and uh, the negotiations, um, you know, they they lasted through the summer, um, and uh, the public uh, uh, has a chance to really dive in um, and understand what the um, uh, the the elements of that MOU were. And so, um, so we've been pretty pretty wide open on on exactly. Uh, what our intentions were through the RP process and why we selected Oakview. And um, I'm hoping that, you know, the, the public is really taking a hard look at the MOU that uh, we've negotiated and that we've sent down to city council. So um, we've been, uh, in my opinion, you know, I'm, I'm just one guy, um, but in my opinion, I feel like we have been pretty clear on what we wanted to see at Key Arena. Okay. All right. So, um, I just want to dive into the questions because I know that we have a limited amount of time here. Um, so we, we have a, a reader named Dritzek, I think it's pronounced. And he, uh, there was, right before the MOU was submitted to the city council, um, if you recall, Chris Hansen came out with a proposal for Key Arena of his own. And mm -hmm. your office responded in a certain way to it, but I want to read the question that says, what's with that, what's with that response to Chris Hansen's proposal for Key Arena? Maybe I'm missing something, but that proposal didn't have to meet RFP guidelines. And so I, I think he's referring to the fact that Key Arena at the moment falls under Chris Hansen's original MOU, and he didn't, the, the reader doesn't feel like Chris needed to uh, comply with the original RFP. What, what's your response to that? So, um, 
the, the, the city, we issue RFPs all the time. You know, when we're talking about a city-owned asset or, or um, a project that has a, um, a clear city interest, we have to be as transparent as possible, and we have to have uh, regular processes that, again, outline exactly what the city is, is wanting to, um, uh, the goals that the city wants to have in, in, in a given project. And, um, you know, we were very clear um, and you know, the Hansen Group had every opportunity uh, to respond to that RFP that we issued in January, um, and we went again. We went through that tra that very transparent process. Everyone knew that we had this RFP process, and then to um, submit. Um, and I'm, I'm not even going to call it a proposal. It's it was architectural drawings that um, um, the Soto Group um, submitted just before we uh, sent down uh, the MOU to uh, to City Council. So um, it, uh, in many ways, it undermines um, um, our um, RFP process to submit um, architectural drawings um, just before uh, we send an MOU to City Council that followed every um, every step along the way that we laid out uh, for the public. So. Um, you know, it um, it, it would have been um, it would have been great if that was a part of the initial RFP process, and we would have reviewed that uh, that that proposal um, if they would have come in during that process. Okay. It's fall. Well, uh, let me just this question and the question before and my comments before about the process are are kind of linked and and kind of tied and. Uh, when people are questioning the transparency of this project, I don't think they're questioning the transparency of the RFP as it's gone, kind of start to finish as Brian described. Brian, what I think they're questioning is the transparency of the process that led to a Key Arena RFP and where Key Arena became front and center and where Soto fell to the back and eventually there's a concern that there is not even going to be a comparison between the two. And that's the thing that I think bothers Sonics fans the most and has been the hardest to explain. Um, it, it's frustrating for people who, who um, are kind of inside the game and inside baseball to be criticized um, by people who might not understand the process as much. But, but what I can say is Brian used the word undermine. And I think that that's a valid word that if you look at it from the beginning of the RFP process, clearly the efforts of the last six months by Rollin Fatlin and the Soto team have been designed to undermine an ongoing process. They've been designed to, to slow it down, to stop it, to disrupt it. And that has not made them any friends within city council. And, and the, the problem is, and it's hard to, to say this without criticizing my friends or sounding like I don't appreciate the effort, but I remember clearly three years ago when Sally Bagshaw, who had been a, who had been a yes vote on, on Soto and had been a supporter, started talking internally about, I'm really worried about what happens to Kiarina. I'm really worried about what happens to Kiarina. I think Kiarina might be a, a, a fatal flaw in this. It might be a problem because we don't know what's going to happen. And I remember really clearly taking those concerns to, to people in Soto and saying, hey, we can deal with this. Let, let's keep Sally on board. Let's, let's win her over. And at the time, the answer was basically, no, we don't need it. We got five. We're done. And Sally was X'd off on the people who were kind of traitorous on Trader Island where I sit right now, three years ago. And I think that if that idea for a multi-part amphitheater had been brought up then, that the port's opposition would have wound up being pretty irrelevant. And we would have worked with people, and, and we would have come to a conclusion and, and figured something out. I think that if when the RFP had been announced, a process had been started, it would have potentially been a positive contribution, but that would involve getting council members or someone on staff to be supportive of this project of, of that option. It's the way it's the way it works is before you drop something on Twitter, you have to circulate it through city hall and you have to have some allies and some supporters and some people who come and say, yeah, I've looked at them with this with them. This is a good idea. And there are four members on council, at least there were before Tim Burgess got promoted, who, who were strong supporters of the project. 
They could have brought it to Bruce Harrell, Tim Burgess, Michael Bryan. Um, but none of that happened. And the fact that it doesn't happen is, is just kind of mind-boggling to people in the business. And, and what it comes across as is they're not really trying to advance their project. They're just trying to undermine the other one. And, and it's frustrating for me as a guy who supported Soto for 10 years because I watched the, the reputation within City Hall and the feelings of you know just, just tanking. And I watched the feelings of adversity growing. And I think they want me to be out front of this. They want me to be out front. I want to be, I'm going to be at war with everybody. I'm going to be at war with not only the Mariners and the Port and everybody else, but, but with City Hall and the mayor's office and, and on the city council members who were our allies. Now we're undermining their efforts now. And, and that's where it's frustrating. So I, I think that um, the, the subject of this is hard questions. And if we're going to ask hard questions about, um, about the process and about transparency, I want Brian to be aware that I, I don't think that they're talking about um, how you ran the RFP process. I think they're talking about why the RFP process didn't consider Soto. And, and that's kind of my answer is that, that just there were some obvious things. I think they could have done it. But, but you have to put blame on, on all parties. You know. uh, just to, just to add on that, I think um, you know I got involved on this project in October of last year, and this was on um, you know um, obviously in the wake of the city council vote on the vacation, and we all know where city council went on that vote, um, and what the city was left um, uh, to answer, frankly, was Key Arena, and Key Arena was always going to be. Um, needed to be addressed, regardless of where the arena was going to be cited for NBA and NHL. Key arena question had to be resolved. And in the wake of, of the the council vote, um, you know, uh, then Mayor Murray said, look, we've got to move forward with Key Arena and understand what our options are there. Uh, and unfortunately, um, the, the RFP um, signaled that, um, that this was a feasible um, uh, project, a feasible uh, facility to house NBA and NHL. And um, in, in less than a year um, uh, since we issued that RFP, we are on the verge of uh, hopefully executing an MOU that um, meets all of our objectives and, frankly, um, in my opinion, serves as the best path for um, Sonic fans and sports fans in this community to get a modern arena that will uh, be attractive, hopefully for uh, both uh, both of those leagues. So this, in my opinion, is the clearest, most expedient path to uh, resolve our arena question. Okay. Well, a related question to that, to your last statement, uh, comes from one of our readers. I'm not going to read all the names because there's so many questions, but... Um, the question is, Mr. Surratt, do you believe that the OVG plan is our best shot at getting the NBA? Please elaborate as to why it is or isn't better than the Soto plan. Well, right now, um, uh, the um, uh, the proposal that we um, we negotiated, the MOU that we negotiated, again hits all of our our original objectives um, around its the design of the facility, um, the financial. Um, um, package that is going to deliver uh, that arena. Um, you know, we've been in uh, constant communication with the NBA and kept them apprised of what's what's uh, uh, been happening through the RFP process. Um, and uh, never once has we um, gotten any indication from either leagues that um, this doesn't make sense uh, for for either league. So. Uh, we believe that um, the, the 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 arena itself and the partners that uh, Oakview has assembled, they have um, the best uh, relationships uh, with both leagues um, to begin that conversation when appropriate. Um, we we've learned one important lesson I think the city has uh, regard to working with both leagues is. We've got to resolve this arena question and set up a clear path for getting uh, a facility constructed. And if we are able to execute this MOU um, and really zone in on that timetable to open it up in October of 2020, that sets us up very well, I think, to go to both leagues and saying the city is serious, uh, the city is committed, 
uh, and we want to have uh, the Sonics back, and we want uh, the NHL uh, to find a, a home um, in, in Seattle. So, uh, again, the, the, the facility itself and the leadership team that OFU has assembled, um, they've got the strongest relationships um, uh, with both leagues. And, and you know, as you know, Brian, uh, relationships matter. Um, in, in both these leagues and uh, being able to um, to approach both leagues when the time is appropriate with uh, not just a credible plan um, but a plan that's um, on on course on course with um, some firm deadlines um, and real commitments um, on the private investor side and real commitments from the city so we hope to send uh, the strongest signals to both leagues uh, that the city is very serious okay a follow-up question actually from the same reader. Um, how have you, Mr. Surratt, gotten comfortable that OBG's proposal will make economic sense for a potential NBA owner? You talked about being in contact with the league, but um, how comfortable are you that the fi- the financial part of it will make sense for an NBA owner? Um, we're comfortable with, with uh, the way um, um, OBG has laid out um, their – uh, long-term financial um, construction economic model for for the arena. Um, obviously, the interests of the owner of the of the arena and both um, uh, franchises they have to be aligned. Um, and the way um, OFU has described um, their um, their economic model, it makes sense uh, to us. Um, the most important thing for for us though at the city at this point is making sure that. Uh, they have the wherewithal to um, to construct the building, um, and uh, we believe that they've got the right uh, financial partners um, that will provide the equity and um, the, the the debt capacity to um, to bring this um, to open to open up uh, the the doors on October of 2020. So um, you know the the financial models. You know you're going to have to talk directly to, to Oakview and how they plan on on uh, making sure that um, it works for NHL and NBA. But uh, based off of our uh, analysis and uh, independent consultants that we've retained, um, you know, their model um, uh, does appear to work. I'll just add Brian, to that, Paul, that, that well. uh, Yeah, and I'll, I'll just add to that that, that uh, A, none of us really know what the economic models are. I, I see so much stuff on, on Twitter and, and Sonics Rising, um, and, and it's, it's a lot of guesswork. Uh, the the city's independent consultant they talk about is, is a guy named Carl Hirsch. At least he's one of the guys. Carl was also uh, an independent consultant for the Soto Project, and um, I haven't spent a lot of time with him, but I, I did get a couple of minutes where he indicated that, that he thought this was a great path. Um, I have heard nothing from anyone um, affiliated or any of my sources in the national media or, or – um, in New York that would indicate that there are any concerns about uh, Tim Laiwiki and his relationships. As, as Brian said, relationships matter. They matter a lot in this particular instance. I, I, I'm kind of stunned at how people are downplaying them. But, uh, you know, for the purpose of transparency, it should also be noted that we, we haven't even gotten a signed MOU yet um, out of city council. And if you look at the, the, same, the same time frame in the last deal with Soto, there were no sports fans on the committees. There was no one checking any of this. No one, no one has checked to see whether there's a replacement for Steve Ballmer. No one has, has vetted the, the financial split. What, what we do know is that uh, Mr. Bonderman right now is the biggest fish in this game, and he's with OBG. We know he's a minority owner of the Boston Celtics. We know he made it an effort to purchase the Golden State Warriors. Um, I believe that that is a very big difference maker because uh, the NBA likes guys who are in their club, who have paid their dues, who have solved some problems. Tim Iwiki's over in Japan right now building a venue to make sure that the NBA can play exhibition games in Japan. What the NBA seems to do is reward people who've been in their club and who solve problems for them. So I think the partnerships are intact in terms of the revenue. As a committee member, I I know people think that uh, it's just kind of is making us co-conspirators, but uh, Brian would probably chime in that I, I am not a quiet guy in these meetings. Uh, I'm not someone who just plays along. I ask a lot of questions. We have hard questions, 
every time we have one of these meetings. And, and one of my hardest questions I've been asking is, I want OBG to, to, to really prove this. Uh, they've gone over, uh, I think I, I have some understanding of some of the basics, but I, uh, I got included in our, in our value statement, which is kind of guidance to council that, that Brian put in, and, and nobody blinked or, or opposed it anyway. Uh, we had the language that said that, that both the physical design and the business model must be appropriate uh, for the NBA and the NHL. And I intend to prove that before this is all over. I, I've talked to, to Councilmember Bagshaw. She uh, also intends to prove it. So I, I think that um, there is nothing to indicate, despite what everybody has said, this whole, oh, they're fourth, fourth in line in a three-tenant city-rented building. There's nothing out there whatsoever to indicate that OBG doesn't have at least a competitive of an arrangement and at best a better one because I think people want to partner with them. Cause I said this in the last interview, but I'm going to say it again. Tim Laiwiki makes a lot of money for his partners. There's a reason people want to partner with him. He's been exceptionally successful. And um, I think that, that we will, before this is done, see the economic model that shows that they clearly how they can do it and how it compares to industry standards. But um, I think that OVG, uh, these guys know how it's done, and um, I have a lot of confidence. And I, and I think the NBA wants to be here. They do. It's been really hard, but Adam Silver is not David Stern, and they want to be here. And if, if this was a blocking move that would prevent the NBA from ever returning, uh, I believe that Adam Silver would let his, his friend Tim Laiwiki know and I think that Tim Laiwiki would value that relationship and understand that it's profitable enough that he wouldn't mess with it for a second-tier concert facility. And I think that people would be letting Brian Surratt know and me know. So um, a follow-up question along this line. Um, I believe that you guys had some language inserted into the MOU that requires OBG to, um, to make an effort to secure the NBA. Um, so the question that goes along with that is uh, the good faith, best efforts question. How is your office, Brian Surratt, making sure any NBA clauses with OVG can't be deliberately undermined without re realistic legal recourse or real economic consequences? So what, what's the teeth that goes along with the language that requires OVG to make an NBA effort? Well, well um, you know, uh, so here's here's the the funny thing that I've learned about um, working with the commission. You're not going to demand anything from either the NBA or the NHL, and so um, that's that's really really important. Uh, what was uh, what was important for us to include in the MOU was our intention as a city um, that we want um, the NBA and NHL to be here in Seattle, and um, the everything that. Um, is outlined in the MOU from the financing to um, the leadership group and making sure that they have the wherewithal and the resources to build this arena uh, to meet those standards is, is job one. That is the most important thing, to set ourselves up for the best possible position to pursue those teams. So um, as far as legal recourse, you know, are we going to um, uh, hold um, OP accountable um, if they don't secure um, a, a, a team, um, uh, um, that's, that's not really in anyone's control. I think we have to put ourselves in the best position, um, and I believe this MOU does put us in that best position. At the end of the day, this is a market that both the NHL and the NBA want to be back in, and they're waiting on us. They're waiting on the city of Seattle and the sports fans here to say, okay, here's our plan. Here's our, our plan, and we're going to rally around for for. Uh, for for once in a long time uh, around a strategy that, that says we are serious. And um, we've been waiting for too long. Um, I know Sonic fans are frustrated, and they have every right to be frustrated because they've been um, uh, taken for um, a pretty crazy ride along this entire process. Uh, but I really, really believe we are on the cusp of uh, not only executing a a game-changing MOU, an MOU that frankly uh, serves as a model on how arenas can be developed um, without, um, you know, gouging taxpayers, and uh, but also positioning ourselves for uh, for NBA and NHL success. So, I want, I want, I'm hoping folks start 
really pivoting to the idea of where do we rally and um, I'm going to leave it up to you know the, the public to determine whether or not this is the best route or not. I believe it is, um, but uh, we're, fear, we're we're serious about wanting the NBA and NHL back, and the MOU clearly outlines that. I just want to piggyback on what Brian said on on his role on our advisory committee when we were putting our statement of values together. Brian was the only one that said uh, they raised this question about viability, economic viability. Um, and it was really important that we include that language in there to set a signal, um, not to, just to the sports fans, but also to, to Oakview as well, that um, you know, we have not lost sight of our, our ultimate goal, and that's to, that's to bring the songs back and to make sure the NHL is here as well. So, um, and let's make sure that we have everything um, in right order uh, to, to ensure that happens. Okay. What, one thing. One thing. Last. I know we talk a lot, Paul. I apologize. It's hard to get through all the questions. But uh, I've been really impressed on this committee. This committee is the committee that would have been chosen uh, by Soto supporters if, if they wanted it. it. It's got me. It's got NHL to Seattle, John Barr, who's been a big supporter. It's got Robert Cardona, who ran Seattle Arena Fan Forum. It's got. Um, it's um, got Mike McQuaid, who was one of my chief deputies at, at Arena Solution, a guy who helped put all that paperwork together. It's got Ollie Garrett, huge supporter, and um, and Monty Anderson from the construction trades. So, so this is there's essentially a majority of Sonics fans on this committee, and it is the committee that would have been the the dream team for Soto fans if we'd gotten a fan committee there. Um, but but we've had to put in some work to make sure that the neighborhood folks and the people who are there advocating for other issues, social justice, um, labor, that, that it's our opportunity to pitch to them how important this is. And I really appreciate my committee members um, listening because I, I told them the other day, you know, all these things are important. And I get that your neighborhood is important and I get that your social cause is important, but it's also really important to a lot of people to bring the Sonics back. And the ability to, to gain those allies and to get and to have people listen and to have people say, yeah, it, that's a priority for us too, because we see that people in the community value it. I think at the end of the day, um, that's where, where I feel better about the process right now, because uh, it, I, it sounds crazy, but I know that the Uptown Alliance, if there come to be questions about something that impacts their neighborhood, something that has the ability to bring the Sonics back, that they're going to really value bringing the Sonics back too. And, and so uh, we've, we have made those pitches and we've been advocating really hard. Um, all the questions that people are asking traffic, you, you got to get to that pretty quick. Um, those are all asked in every meeting and, and uh, it's been a good experience. Okay. So Brian, you just provided a good segue to this next question from one of our readers. Um, and it's, it concerns Seattle Center stakeholders. Um, Mr. Surratt, are all the other stakeholders at Seattle Center, and that includes Opera, PNB, KEXP, Pacific Science Center, uh, Chihuly Museum, Space Needle, et cetera, are all those on board with this plan given traffic issues and potential number of dates filled? And the reader goes on to specify, I have on good authority that at least two of these stakeholders are not in favor of the key arena plan. So. What's your response to that question? Uh, we have strong support uh, from uh, the, uh, the the resident organizations at the Seattle Center. Um, um, you know, most of the, the the organizations that you listed off um, have um, either uh, formally or privately indicated their their support. Um, I, I know, uh, I believe, even earlier this week, um, uh, several of them uh, sent a letter to City Council, including Seattle Center Foundation. Uh, the Seattle International Film Festival, Pacific Science Center, the Ballet, uh, Chihuly, the Opera, the, the Seattle Rep, uh, they all have indicated their support uh, for this project. So um, the, the resident organizations, the longtime tenants there um, that make up Seattle Center, uh, the overall majority of them um, are in support of, of this project. Okay. Uh, need to mow through some of these questions now so we can uh, get some things done here. Um, so on to some transportation issues. Uh, one of our readers asked, why, were there zero why was there zero mention of renovations to the monorail in the OVG MOU? 
if this is a critical if this is a critical piece of making Key Arena viable as a major venue. So the MOU was is a- not a transportation plan. Yeah, that's 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 first and foremost. Um, you know, the MOU is a framework document that outlines here are the things that Oakview has agreed to do, and here are the things that the City of Seattle has agreed to do. Uh, with respect to transportation, um, Oakview, um, they have um, you know committed to funding uh, forty million dollars for transportation improvements um, uh, that have not been identified yet. Uh, one of the things that we agreed with the surrounding neighborhoods, because they're going to be most impacted around uh, transportation mobility, uh, was to develop a mobility action plan. And that process will be getting underway um, uh, in, in the next couple of weeks, where the mobility plan is going to take a look at all the plans. And there are a ton of plans, transportation plans, that have been um, analyzed and developed over the years, and trying to make sense of those plans and prioritize uh, specific improvements, mm-hmm. and we hope that uh, whatever that priority list of, of projects, uh, when that list is is generated, this forty million dollars would be able to help fund um, a lot of those projects. In addition to things that, frankly, the city needs to to do as well. You know, that that part of town, um, absent um, the the arena, uh, the city uh, has to make serious investments around transportation and mobility. Um, we have uh, a new upzone that um, uh, was just passed by council um, in the uptown neighborhood. We all know how South Lake Union has transformed. We all know that um, Expedia, uh, with their move, they're going to be using Mercer as, as a quarter. So absent of the arena, we were going to have to make uh, uh, better um, plans and, and sounder investments to improve transportation there. So this $40 million um, helps tremendously. Um, and uh, this mobility plan that we plan on executing uh, actually helps accelerate our thinking um, to improve mobility in that in that corridor. Okay. It, so it should be pointed out that the forty, but in, in, in addition to the forty million, there are anticipated to be additional costs uh, that are indicated in the EIS, and those are in addition to the forty million dollars um, worth noting. Yes. For yeah. mitigation, yeah, for mitigation of the actual actual events there's there's a transportation subcommittee that has recently developed um uh, i'm going to be joining that um thanks Sox fans another another probably two afternoons a month or something like that um because i want to really understand it it more um transportation planning in the city is tough for, for any location any venue any project um there is still a lot of work to be done i think people think that everybody's just dismissive of the transportation concerns or not. Uh, I think there are some interesting debates to have with the neighborhood who really wants a walking neighborhood and not only what that's going to do for the, the access issue, ingress, egress, but also parking. Uh, it seems like there's a, a, a concern about parking and all those things uh, everybody wants answers today. And one guy in a meeting last week said, do they understand that we're building the plane while we're flying the plane? Um, these projects, you don't get answers first day. You just don't. There, there's a so if people want the transparency and they want the involvement and they want, uh, you can't have the answers first day. It, it has to be uh, other people coming to the table and, and talking about it and, and building the product. And, and we're lucky that we're moving so fast, but it's also a little nerve wracking because we have to, to figure out some of these transportation issues quickly. But um, there is there is a mobility plan. There is a transportation subcommittee. A lot of people are are working hard and and concerned about transportation access. So the mobility plan, if I'm understanding both of you correctly, is uh, something that's happening regardless of arena. Yes. Is that that correct? Okay. So that leads to that that leads to a related question. Then Um, one of our readers asks, "I would like more information on what the city will be contributing." towards traffic and parking solutions. Is there a dollar amount they're targeting at this point? Uh, if you can share a general figure, that'd be great. Understandable if you can't. Uh, but do you have a response to that? Is there, is there a generic dollar figure that you guys have in mind that the city will contribute towards, towards transportation parking? No, there parking? isn't a dollar amount there yet. I think uh, we really want the, the mobility plan to help really drive and dictate where we invest our dollars. Um, because we want to, as you know, you can't, it's hard to um, isolate one particular 
um, solution or one particular um, uh, capital improvement and say that that thing is going to work. We want to start looking things in a really integrated fashion. And uh, we, we really, again, we really want the mobility plan to help uh, identify what those priorities are, be, uh, and and then we'll start putting some cost estimates behind those things. So, uh, but yeah, right now we don't have a dollar amount, and we don't necessarily have. Uh, is it a five-year time horizon? Is it a ten-year time horizon? Uh, those are things that are, will be in the mix here. Okay. Um. All right, Brian. You mentioned Brian Robinson. You mentioned that. Uh, the neighborhood wants it to be a, a walking neighborhood. Uh, one of our readers asks, um, regarding the walking bike path rush, with NBA, NHL being winter sports, uh, how is the weather not taken into consideration for that? So a lot of people feel that the weather uh, is a hindrance to uh, more walking. Uh, I think it. I think it is. It is taken into consideration, but that doesn't mean it. It, it prohibits things from being done. Uh, we all live here. We all know that in Seattle, people have to go out in the rain, and people have to adjust. Uh, the 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 district, the walking district, the the neighborhoods of Uptown, formerly Lower Queen Anne, uh, Uptown, Belltown, and South Lake Union, are all experiencing massive growth. And South Lake Union, the bulk of that has already happened or is in progress as we see all these cranes in our city. Uptown just last week got a substantial rezone. And Belltown, I don't, I don't think there's any one of us who's ever gone out to the club, uh, the clubs in Belltown and, and not thought, wow, this, this neighborhood could be a little bit more directly connecting, you know, Pike Place Market to Seattle Center. Um, those neighborhoods all have very big aspirations. And one of the big aspirations they have is, is more uh, residences and people living downtown um, and create a neighborhood, I would say, you know, kind of like Manhattan, the way it wraps around uh, Central Park. Uh, it's, it's virtually unheard of for neighborhoods to, to not be protectionist and to not fight new people coming in. And I'm personally really impressed with all these neighborhoods, the way they're trying to create a vision for the future that brings new businesses, brings Amazon and Expedia and welcomes new people and changes the character of the neighborhood. But this concept of North downtown, as it fits into the, the, the one century plan um, is in some ways driving this. There's a question of where the growth in the city is going to go. Is it going to go to the South or is it going to go to the North? And there are a lot of people uh, in leadership, both, both political leadership and business leadership think that the growth we've seen around Amazon and the growth we've seen on that north end um, warrants moving the, the amenities and the population center up to surround all those people with all of their disposable income. So, so are people going to have a tough time driving into the rain? Yes, they are. Um, and, and we have to accept as a city that as we have 35,000 new residents a year, um, maybe more than that, I got to check the latest numbers, that it's going to get harder to, to drive out. But where that growth goes, where people are walking, there are thousands and thousands of new people living in the north part of downtown. Um, a lot of them are going to be walking on rainy nights and non-rainy nights, and, um, and they are going to be a big part of the fan base and the crowd and attendance. Um, and and they're, they're, frankly, the right people for it. I think, it's, I think people are going to start having to make decisions. Do they want to be able to live out in the suburbs and have more space and have more solitude? Or do they want to live in the city and have more amenities? And it's going to get tougher and tougher to have both. And, and that's not Oakview's group's fault. It's not Brian Surratt's fault. It's, it's the way our city is developing. Okay. Excuse me. I remember back in 2013 when uh, we were when Chris Hansen was trying to get the uh, to buy the Kings, and uh, KJ was down there trying to get an arena built to to keep them down there. Um, uh, a phrase arose, um, Sacramento loves parking because they use parking garage revenues to fund their arena. And so now the current proposal relies a lot on parking garage revenues. So a question from one of our readers says, why should the public give uh, OVG parking garage revenues for 50 years when the lease is only written for 39 years? I understand that the, maxim the lease maximum is 39 
but that wouldn't preclude the city from only giving OGV, OVG revenue for 39 years. Um, I'm not even sure if those numbers are accurate, but what are, what's your response? They're not, to that? They're not um, accurate. Those numbers are not accurate, no. So, okay. so uh, just a, a high-level thumbnail sketch on, on, on how the city and Oakview plan on sharing revenue. Part of what we negotiated in the MOU is that um, all the revenue that, that Key Arena and um, First Avenue Parking Garage and Seattle Center uh, sponsorship, all that revenue that the Seattle Center is currently making, Oakview is going to make us whole. So the city does not go backwards in the money that it has been making. And we, we put in a, an annual escalator up to 3% um, a year uh, to ensure that those revenues continue to grow um, in relation to, to inflation. Also, Oakview will be reimbursing the city on all the tax revenues generated um, by the arena um, that fall um, at uh, current levels. So um, ad tax, sales tax, B&O tax, leasehold excise tax, commercial parking tax, all those tax revenues that the city's been making, um, Oakview will reimburse the city uh, for those. So uh, the city does not go backwards, and tax revenue and actual uh, revenue from activities generated at Key Arena, the, the, it does not go backwards. What we negotiated with Oakview is um, the new revenue uh, that would be created uh, from activities, concerts, events, games, sponsorship, you know, et cetera, the upside that will be generated, that there will be a revenue-sharing uh, uh, model. And um, for the first 10 years, the city is going to get 25% of that upside. Oakview is going to get 75% because in the first 10 years, that's really where um, you know, Oakview is going to be spending a lot of its capital to get the arena up. Um, and uh, really position itself uh, for both the NHL and the NBA. After the first 10 years, we're going to split it 50-50. And so the city, again, covers its base, and we have uh, room to grow and upside for additional revenue uh, going forward uh, with the initial lease term, 39 years. So um, the 39-year initial lease is there. There's uh, two um, eight-year um, options. Um, uh, for extension, uh, but there are some requirements for Oakview to, um, that they have to meet in order to qualify for those extensions. One, they've got to put in at minimum $168 million in uh, capital expenditures to keep the arena up to date, and two, they have to have an NBA and or NHL team um, as a tenant in order to um, get those extensions. So uh, we, we're, we're, not, we're not just really um, giving away um, the arena um, without making sure that uh, the city is covered from a financial standpoint and our long-term interest of maintaining that facility and ensuring that we have hockey and or uh, the Sonics here. I know we've got a pretty hard stop at 7.30, and uh, I know there's a lot of questions that are valid, and maybe at some point Brian will uh, get comfortable registering a username at Sonics Rising and, and being able to address uh people a little bit directly we don't need to do it formal like this but um you know brian mentioned to me the other day that there was a, a an image in the uh pictures about someone with him holding up a team chris uh shirt and and someone made a comment that i don't think was mean-spirited but was kind of joking oh was he on chris hansen's team before and and uh brian mentioned to me that that was a shirt that, that was worn when his wife was uh, dealing with cancer. And uh, uh, Brian, you know, obviously my, um, my uh, deepest empathy for you going through a circumstance like that, but I think that's a really good reminder of just how personal these things get and the fact that we're dealing with real human beings. And, and every time someone tells me that I'm corrupt or on the take or someone accuses Brian of being um, unethical, that, that it's a real person, it's a real human being. So, so if we have a few minutes left, Brian, um, can you kind of take off your OED hat and as Brian Surratt, the person, um, just, just talk a little bit to Sonics fans about who you are and about where you see sports in the world and about, you know, kind of try to answer the question. Pe people are asking, do you, do you care about bringing the Sonics back? I, so I, I, I really appreciate that. that, Brian. Um, you didn't, you know, you you didn't have to, to to say that that piece, but I really appreciate uh, that. It was um, 
um, about my wife, and um, and uh, that means a lot. So thank you. Um, you know, taking off my OED uh, director, city bureaucrat hat. Um, I'm a sports guy. You know, I played sports all my life. Um, I uh, I played basketball, football, baseball. I went to the same high school uh, that produced Wayman Tisdale, uh, Richard Dumas, uh, Tyler Lockett, uh, and uh, that sports tradition at my high school was was huge. And um, uh, I know what sports can do uh, for individuals. I know what they can do for communities, that they can be a rallying point. And I understand um, how painful it has been for um, Sonic fans. Um, to, uh, to 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 be in this purgatory uh, for um, so long, especially after arguably its most storied franchise was was ripped away. Um, when I moved here in the summer of '98, um, um, I've only seen one um, NBA team live in person at an NBA game. Um, and that was the Sonics, and when I moved here. Uh, the Sonics became my adopted team, and um, and did I have the, the 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 same deep emotional connection that most um, native-born Seattleites had to Sonics? Of course not. Um, but um, because I became a Seattleite, and because uh, that was my first experience and only experience watching the NBA game was watching the Sonics, um, that holds a very special place um, with me. So. When I got the opportunity um, to work on this project, I was extremely excited about it. I also knew that um, uh, I was uh, potentially walking into um, uh, an, an arena, pardon the pun, the uh, arena that um, is, is full of folks who are frustrated, uh, disillusioned, um, and really um, uh, concerned about uh, the seriousness of local government and wanting to bring the Sonics back. And um, this has been um, a very difficult process, um, but at the same time, I think a process that if folks continue to push us, which I'm glad folks are because um, we all want the same thing. We want a good deal for this community that puts us in the best position to bring uh, the Sonics back and NHL to Seattle. This community deserves uh, both the NHL and NBA in this community, and I, at, at the heart of heart, I believe that both leagues want to be here, and they're waiting on us to deliver to them an arena um, and, and once and for all say, we're here, here's our plan, and we're ready to go, and, um, and we've got to do our part collectively, city government, the fans, the broader community, to say we are ready to move forward with one plan, and here's our plan, and and NBA and NHL, we're we're ready when you are. What I what I always um, try to tell, especially the guys at OBG who I think are are, are they, they understand this from a high level, but but don't but but haven't quite felt the pain. You know, their um, Lance is a great guy. He's a great sports guy, former Seahawks guy, but but he's been in the industry for so long. And sometimes when you're in the industry, you know, you're the guys who are who who are looking at the business reasons for trade, not trades, not feeling the heartache when your favorite player gets traded. You kind of build some walls. But what I tell those guys when they are trying to figure this out is that the the, the hardest part right now, but is also the greatest attribute, and it's how much Sonics fans care. The fact that. We started this in 2006, which was 11 years ago now. We formed Save Our Sonics. And we went through all the highs and mostly the lows of fighting and of rallying. And we became soldiers politically and, and, and then got our hearts broken again and again and again. People still care. And the fact that they care, it, it kind of creates opposition for this project right now. But it also creates a prize because um, if fans care this much 11 years after the battle started and nine years after losing their team, just imagine how much they're going to care and support um, if we weather this storm and we bring it through and we do bring a team back. Um, and that's what Brandon, I think I when I in. read the criticism. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, our show is literally going to end in 10 seconds now. So, Brian Surratt, I want to thank you for joining us. Brian Robinson, I want to thank you for joining us, and thank all of you for joining us. Have a great day. Thank you Thanks, all. Guys. Yep. Thank you, guys. Bye. All right. Uh, so we're off the air now, guys. Thanks for joining us. I, I set the show up literally for an hour, and uh, that's where we're at. So thanks, guys. Great. Thanks.